Welcome to Beyond My Title. I'm Nikiba and I wear a variety of hats. I'm a sales advisor at a startup in New York City, but that's my nine to five. Beyond My Title, I created a skincare line in my dorm room kitchen in 2010. Three years later, I launched Cori Renee, a plant-powered skincare line that is inspired by nature and powered by plants. I am very passionate about empowering others through storytelling. I believe that we all have a unique story and it goes deeper than our title. I created this podcast to share conversations about how we identify ourselves, our work, and the legacy we wish to leave behind. This podcast was brought to you by Bib Media. Born in Brooklyn, believe the hype. Today, Marlene Wilkes is joining me. Marlene is the executive director of Queens Southfield Support Center. She's a farmer who shares her harvest with the community every year. She's invested over 28 years of service to the New York Department of Education and was previously the network leader at Children's First Network, where she recruited, hired, and trained top teaching talents in the DOE. Marlene is my favorite farmer at East New York Farms, and she's just an incredible woman, and I'm so happy she's here with me. Welcome, Marlene. Thank you. So Marlene, can you tell me more about growing up in Jamaica and how that influenced your journey? So as a child growing up in Jamaica, one of the things we started, I think, approximately seven to eight years old, our parents were farmers. So, you know, poor people have to eat, live, and drink through farming. So my mom actually was what you call a higgler. She bought um, produce. She created her, she grows her, she grew her own produce. And then she bought additional produce and would sell to the market. So she's traveling from Thursday night on a truck to Friday morning into Kingston to the huge Carnation Market. And that's where she sold her product. And at that time, there was about 12 children of the family. And different children would go with her to the market at different times. And then I used to travel with her to the market as well. So growing up in Jamaica, farming, going to school is just like a natural part of who we are and what and fortunately having the opportunity and privileges to continue to do that work here. So growing up in Jamaica, how far were you from Kingston when you would go into Kingston for the market? It's a drive of about four hours. What parish are you from? I'm from Manchester. Okay. Okay. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So you would go to the market and you would... We would go to the market. You actually sleep in the market because you get there for Friday morning and then they would sell all day on Friday and then you sleep Friday night and then she sells all day on Saturday. Then you leave Saturday night to go back to wherever you're from and it's approximately four hours and you're traveling on the truck. Wow, I, I feel like that, that must have definitely shaped you into the woman that you are today. Well, I'm, I'm sure everything that we learn and grow up would shape us to some extent, mm-hmm. but farming is a big piece of what we do. So it's really like just a natural, natural thing. Mm-hmm. What is one of your favorite crops that you learned how to grow? My favorite crop, and I'm not just my favorite crop, the... People who come to the market, their fa- favorite crop is 
Kalalu, the Jamaican Kalalu, and yes. I want to make the distinction because in Trinidad, when they talk about Kalalu, it's a dish. Mm-hmm. But in Jamaica, when you speak about Kalalu, it's a, in Jamaica and some of the other islands, it is a plant from the Amaranth family. And that's the favorite crop we grow. Mm-hmm. We can't have enough of that Definitely. for the people. Who I come love Kalalu. <laughs> so Kalalu would be like a. I'm trying to. How would we describe Kalalu? Is it a? I feel like for me, it's a bit bitter, more bitter than like a spinach. Well, well, it's it's not a it's not a spinach. It's if you, I really can't. It's a vegetable. Yes, and um, it depends on your taste. Mm-hmm. I would never ever use the word bitter to describe kalalu because I've never found it to be bitter. Yes. But I guess for individuals and depending on the crop you're getting from and the time of year, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't consider it to be bitter. Mm -hmm. But it's really a very, very well sought after vegetable. For sure. For sure. I love it sauteed. I haven't had the pleasure of having your kalalu, but I'm thinking of... You have never had our kalalu? I've never had your kalalu. And... And then, you know, in, in Jamaica, we actually eat it with codfish. Yes. And so even here, when we cook it, we cook it with codfish. Yes. yes. I think the reason that I caught, that I was thinking of bitter was because I usually eat a lot of my greens raw. Like, I get kale from you frequently. Okay. So c- when I'm thinking of, like, if I took a nibble of a, um, of a piece of kalalu, it would be a bit more bitter than a spinach, which is like, But we, we don't eat it raw. Yes, and that, that's It's not that's one of those issue. vegetables we yes, eat raw. Yes, definitely. You definitely need to cook it down. <laughs> yes. Cook it down. At what age did you leave Jamaica? Age? I left Jamaica in 1981. Mm-hmm. So let's see, how old was I then? From 29? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what was it like coming to America in 81 from Jamaica? Well, it was just like anywhere else you go, it's new. Mm-hmm. And until you learn the culture and everything, you um, just get used to things and people. Mm-hmm. Um, it When I came first, however, lots of things, and even for the last... I think over time, more things that have been revealed to me in the last five years, stuff that I actually never knew when I came here. But one thing I do remember is that when I came here in 1981 and you send an American dollar back to Jamaica, you exchange it for 55 cents. Wow. Now, when you send an, a, an American dollar to Jamaica, it's like 130 31 dollars. Yeah. So that I never forgot. Yeah. Right. Wow. $155. What a difference. What a difference. Wow. And what borough were you in when you moved to New York City? I came to Brooklyn. To never Brooklyn. left Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Like growing up in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. So what were some of the things that were influencing you while growing up there? I know musically there were so many amazing artists that, you know, I grew I up listening w- to. Yeah, but we just kind of took it for granted. Mm-hmm. One of the things, however, that was a big focus for us was like school, mm-hmm. school and farming. The only thing we did as children, I mean, as kids, you play and so on. But the two major things were school and farming. You had to go to school. Yes. And the expectations were like extremely high. And so we went to school. 
And the difference was the focus was in school. You learned science, you learned social science from a very young age. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you graduated in high, from high school in Jamaica? High school. Or is it secondary school? I think I was secondary. I think I was 15 plus mm-hmm. because then I had done my exams and everything and actually started teaching because you could teach before you actually go to college. So I started teaching when I was actually on my 16th birthday wow. was my first teaching job. So I taught for a year and some months, and then I attended college um, uh, after my 17th birthday. Where did you go to college? Church Teachers College. Is is that in Jamaica? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So wh- what parish were you in? Were you st- I was st- still in, in Manchester. Manchester. Okay. Yeah. And then I did a year of internship. Mm-hmm. In St. Elizabeth, because the way it's structured, you do physically three years on campus, but you do the additional one year on internship. So you're actually teaching your classes in a school. It's not like here where someone has to be in this classroom for you to be teaching. No, you have your own class and the professors come from the college to visit you, to observe what you're doing, give you feedback. So one year of your training was actually the internship year. So at that point in your life, what were you curious about? Actually, my major in college, you wouldn't believe this was art. Really? I I was an art student graduate with, <laughs> but my minor was mathematics okay. and science. And when then when I came here, and I attended college, my major here was mathematics. Did you get your master's here? Yeah, I got two okay. masters here. Okay. And a bachelor's. And a, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So what? I know you mentioned earlier that your first job at in the DOE was in I think eighty six or eighty eighty nine. Eighty nine. Okay. Mm-hmm. What was that like? What was your first position there? Actually, I did a substitute teaching position because I used to work at the registry where there was a registry in Bay Ridge mm-hmm. where when people were going to be absent, they would call in their absence. I think I started that job in 87. And then you had to find teachers to send to the school. That's great. Mm -hmm. And then once I've completed my bachelor's degree, the gentleman who was the supervisor for the program, he said, you know, it's time you need to go back into teaching. So then he, there was a principal had spoken to him and someone had gone out and leave. And so, and Interestingly, my first teaching assignment here was in East New York. I ended up moving to East New York in 1990. (laughs) Full circle. Full circle. (laughs) So I I did the um, substitute position. I think it started in April of 89, either April or March. And then in 89, I actually got a full-time position. So I remember when I... this, this is really interesting. So, in Jamaica, we don't write, when we were teaching, we didn't write resumes for job. So a school has an opening, you apply, and then you go, right? And I don't even recall anyone interviewing me for a teaching job in Jamaica. It's like, you go to the school, this is your class, so on and, and so And you forth. just walk in and you have the job. <laughs> you don't wow. walk in, like, you, you yeah. would tell them yeah. if there are vacancies. So I... You have to really learn the system. So yeah. what I did, I'm ready now to find a full-time teaching job. So I got some index cards, 
about five index cards. I put my name, my the subject I wanted to teach. I put a stamp on it, and I sent it to five schools. <laughs> I wow, send, the I journey. Resume. Yeah. So one of the like three of the schools called me for interviews. And then this gentleman called and he said he was curious that why would you send out an index card with your information for a position? But I didn't know anything about resumes. Yeah. So he called me in because he was curious. So I got there and a panel of people interviewed me and for a math position. And then the principal said to me, great, so we're going to hire you on a probationary status for a year. And I said to her, listen, I have been teaching since I was 16 years old. If you don't plan to give me the job, I am not doing a probationary position. And she said, okay, wait outside. <laughs> so then she sent me to the district office and I got appointed. Wow. So I I, yeah. did, I told her I'm not doing a probation yeah. because I have been teaching for so many Definitely. years. Why need to? So one of the person who interviewed me said to me, oh, you know, these kids are not the same as kids in Jamaica. And I said to her, um, with due respect, children are children. And I said, if you establish relationship with them, I don't care where they are, you can teach them. So I got my job. Look at that. And then from that school I left and I did my first master. No, while you're teaching, you do your master's. And then once I finished that, then <clears throat> there's a program at Bank Street College. Yes. yes. Where um, it was for, quote, unquote, minorities. So my sister and I got invited into the program and I did my master's in ed administration. So that was part of the journey. Wow. That's incredible. You know that I used to work with Bank Street. Oh, yeah? Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. And then <clears throat> I remember on you had to do a six-month internship while you were at Bank Street. Mm -hmm. So I did a six-month internship in Manhattan, in Clinton Hills. And I remember the principal from the school taking me to the superintendent of District 2 then, and he said he wanted to offer me an assistant principal position. And I told him, I'm not interested in any administrative position. I just took the course because I wanted to go back to classroom to teach my kids. Yeah. And then he said to me, oh, you know, you should never give up an opportunity. I just said I was not interested. But for some reason, which I can't even name, September, I was in the, a middle school in Manhattan as an assistant principal. Wow. And then while I was working there as an assistant principal, a uh, superintendent came. I worked there for four years as an AP in Chinatown. And a superintendent came from another district and said she had an op a school principal position and told my principal that she wanted me to take the position. So when she interviewed me, I said to her, you know, I don't think I'm qualified for the position. And she said, you're more qualified than you think. So I worked in that school for four years as a principal. And while I was working there, the person who was in charge of the region in Queens came to my school and told me she wants me to join her staff. So even though I said I didn't, so yeah. she said to me, here are the conditions you might want to think about. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so that's what's how I left when I came to Queens. And it's, you know, that's how it is. But you really have to 
being in tune with people, do your work, be serious about it, and have a real soul commitment to how you work with children and what the goal is. So that has been my journey. Do you miss working in the classroom now that you... So actually what happened, I think if, you, if you're really serious, seriously focus on children's learning, and I mean, when I interview people, they would say to me, oh, you know, I said, well, why are you choosing, selecting to leave your position now? And they'd say, when I'm in a certain position, I can influence more people. And I think to a, to a large extent that has been true. But luckily for me, I do get to go to schools because in, in the role as um, instructional superintendent, network leader, you're in schools working with teachers, working with principals. And we still go to school, um, conduct walkthroughs with principals, make observations, and provide advice around what might they do differently. Where We sit and we plan training for teachers, what it might look like, and so on. So I love going to schools because I'm around kids. So <laughs> that's, I still do that. When do you think you start? You started down your path that led you here? The path that led me here? I mean, led me here to where? To, to being, a, like, with, to working with the DOA for so long, being committed to, you know, furthering the education of young people and especially with the support of their teachers and the administration, and then the farming, like. Actually, the farming I could see being part of my DNA. Mm-hmm. When I was a young kid, because when we grew up in our family, um, your mom would say, you're going to be this, you're going to be this. It's part of our culture. Mm -hmm. So they're not saying to kids, what do you want to be? That wasn't the culture. The culture is, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be a dentist, you're going to be a shoemaker. So <laughs> your parents would tell you what you're going to be. So my mom told me I was going to be a nurse. But for some reason, <clears throat> I don't think, I think my personal belief is everyone is on this planet for a different reason. You're sent here, you're put here as a human to work with other humans. In what capacity you do that, I don't think it's your personal determination. That's my belief. Mm -hmm. Because then, and I, I'm talking about my own experience. So how do you move from one thing to the other? So it could be, I'm sure, people choose what they want to do, but also based on situations. Like when I was in Jamaica, did, did I have the opportunity to attend university? At that point, getting married, having children, teaching, that's not part of your, what you're thinking. But then as you get into one situation, something approached, something happened, something happened. So I, I can't tell you specifically, say, this influenced me to be a teacher, I could just say it happens. Mm -hmm. It just happened one to the other, and then, then I find I really just have a knack for working with people. And I am a people person. I feel I have to be around people to feel alive and so on. And I think the market in itself is also an additional, like you people are around you, you're around people. You get to have conversations about culture what people consider to be medicinal versus non-medicinal, what do you use for A, what do you use for B, and growing up in a culture 
where we never, at, at my first visit to a doctor was when I was 16 years old. Because if you had a fever, there was something that your parents used to get rid of the fever, and it was not something from a doctor's office. Mm -hmm. If you had a toothache, there's something they use to reduce the toothache, and it was not from a doctor's was office. Was it something that your family would have grown? Yeah, it's yeah. Her herb, mm -hmm. all herbal stuff. So growing up in that culture, you, you realize that this is necessary to human survival. But then you see things change. But even now being older, we're more, I'm more to the herbal side of things than I am to things that I'll get from a doctor's office. So when you were in East New York, or when you, when you first moved here, did you just originally, once you had a home and had the space or had enough room for a pot, did you start growing? And what did you start growing when so that came? So I'll tell you, when I said I can't tell you about the, what influenced me to become a teacher, mm -hmm. I know I had farming in my blood because I think some people are plant people, some people are water people, some people fit into different things based on whatever. So something interesting happened when they were building these houses in, in New East New York in the 80s. And I had applied for one of the houses and they're low income houses. So the house that was given to me, because I had applied for a three bedroom, they gave me a two bedroom. So I told the gentleman I didn't want the two bedroom because I had my two children then. So he said, okay, they're going to work on it. And I eventually, I got a three bedroom, but this is what was really, really interesting. And this is what I'm saying. People are put here for different reasons and things happen. The place where I got my house, where I live now, right across from my house is the entire area where when they were building the houses, it was like the field place where they had the, they bring in the materials and everything right across from where I live now. So after they had finished the build, building those houses there, we hired trucks in the neighborhood, all the people on the block, and we cleaned out the area. Wow. We threw out the tires, we threw out everything, and there's my neighbor across the street from us, they're from Guyana. And that neighbor and myself went into the lot, it was not fence or anything, and we started planting. Mm. But prior to that, my daughter, my second daughter, because we have a reasonable sized backyard, she planted a watermelon seed. Oh, and we never actually grew watermelon in our, where we live in Jamaica, but other people grew watermelon. And the watermelon grew large, but we didn't even know when it was ready because by the time we picked it, it, it was like... Mushy? Mushy. Yeah. So that was the first thing to say, you know what? If, if the watermelon grew, then we could actually get into planting. So we started yeah. planting in the backyard. And then we started cleaning up the area in front of the garden. And then I think it was months later, someone shared with us that we could go to the Green Thumb in New York City and they would give us the place as a community lot to grow. So one of the ladies, we all went to Green Thumb. I actually was the one who named the garden New Vision. 
and they develop a, a plan. We draw up the plan where trees would go, wherever. So we actually started a garden from scratch. Wow. And name it and then started getting different, different people to come in. And with the support of um, Green Thumb, New York City Green Thumb, I mean, the gardens in East New York have tripled and have been a support for communities since the early 90s. Does East New York have the largest amount of community gardens in New York? I think so. I, I'm not sure. I couldn't say because I think that's what was said. But I think Bronx being a larger, has more, having more square footage of land than mm-hmm. where we are because could have more gardens over time. I'm not sure. But my understanding was that there are lots of gardens in Brooklyn. In terms of East New York, I am not sure if we have most gardens, but I know there are lots of gardens there. What challenges did you face when growing your first or second harvest in your new gardens? I don't think we had challenges. I think it was a matter of education. I think we had um, we had squirrels. Was one. And over time, you learn what crops to put in that prevent other animals, but I I don't think we had lots of challenges. I think we just had lack of knowledge Mm -hmm. because remember planting in Jamaica is not the same thing as planting here. Yes. Because the weather conditions are different and but it's as a result of being educated throughout the time because since that time we used to have to go to different training workshops at Green Thumb. We had grow together and you would learn lots of things about what to grow and they would come in and actually do different workshops training you on how to extend your gardens different things to do so imagine for over a period of from 1990 mid 1990s to now that's how many years like 20 like 28 about years right wow and you're doing gardening and you're learning stuff. So every year it's something new and you're learning. So I don't recall us, like I couldn't say we really had challenges. Probably the challenge was a lack of knowledge, mm-hmm. but it was a building on. And I think it was in 1998 that I actually made my first journey to the market. So my aunt also worked in a garden in East New York and then she was selling in the market and then she she came and she said well you're growing all these beautiful crops here you might want to take some to the market and so that's what we started doing how did east new york evolve as a community during that time of when you first started growing to where we are today i think we see more it's not more people move in because it's basically like the same people. But when we actually started the farming, we had more of the people living in the neighborhood doing the farming. Mm-hmm. In terms of evolving, I think less people because in New Visions Garden, the people who have been there, there's, a, there's about, some people have passed away, of course. But in New Visions Garden, it's myself, my sister, my husband, the coordinator. I think we are the four people who who have been in that garden since the 90s. And the new people have joined us in the garden. The garden behind um, Triplar, that 
came into being about 2008. So what has happened in terms of how, we, how, is it, how it has evolved, we started with new visions actually started first and then the UCC, there's this big piece of approximately half acre of land and there's a gentleman who used to just plant little something, something like little flowers and so. And then eventually UCC took over that section and then it became one of the largest farms. So, and then after UCC, then there was um, Hands and Heart, this, this garden that my sister actually named. And this is, it's a very, it's a, another little more than a half an acre. We actually call that an urban farm. And then after that, there was, after Hands and Heart, then there was Triplar. And then after Triplar, there was Fresh Farms. So those are those gardens. But there are lots of more gardens that came up as a result. But the first garden that I'm aware that started was the New Visions Garden within that area. And lots of gardens have come up ever since. What's the difference between an, a garden and an urban farm? So the, this, I don't, I can't really tell you. Maybe it's because there are lots of people working on it. It's like a farm. It's bigger. It has, there are different crops. So maybe on your garden, in your, in your garden, you would be planting certain things. I never really thought about it. Maybe it's because of the size of it and how many more people are in it. Why, why new, um, Green Tom choose to call it an urban farm? Marlene, I'm very inspired by your community activism and just the responsibility that you have taken on of the communities that you're in. You know, I've, I'm, I'm curious, how do, you, how do you balance your role at the DOE and your love and compassion for the gardens and the food that you grow? So... DOE time is DOE time, so technically my work time is 9 to 5, but you know, when you work in certain capacity, you work until the work get done. So, um, but then when, when I get home from work, so we're in the garden like from 6 p.m. until 10 p.m. or till 9 p.m. and then on the weekends, so that's how we manage the garden. And how many gardens are you are you a part of? Are you growing and cultivating food in? So I actually grow out of New Visions, UCC, Triplar, Fresh Farms, Hands and Heart, plus my backyard. What about Jamaica? <laughs> no, well, Jamaica when I go on vacation. Okay. We just <laughs> when when I when we go on Jamaica. But but remember, luckily for me, my husband and I we do this. It's, you know, some people, their husbands stay home, watch TV, but my husband and, and we are in this together. Yes. So he, he's able, we're able to do it together. So I'm sure that makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. And we're all, all able to, anyone that goes to East New York Farms <laughs> is able to reap those, those Benefit. benefits <laughs> for sure. You know, <laughs> you don't get, if you spend $3 on kale at a, a grocery store, it's going to be very different from the kale that's growing in Marlene's six uh, And one of, the, one of the agreement when you look in our bylaws is that we don't use pesticides and if and when we use fertilizers, like we use the fish food with the seaweed, the fish food emulsion and seaweed, 
And if we do use like some plants like peppers, eggplants, and so they're heavy feeders, if we do use fertilizers, it's organic. But most of the things we plant, we use no fertilizer. Why is it important to buy organic produce? Well, because something is entitled organic don't mean it's necessarily organic. Like everything is organic. Like it's in the soil, it's organic. But I guess how it's grown, it's more, I would, I would more say not so much if you look up the definition for organic, organic means mm -hmm. it's grown in so, something like that. It's what they spray. It's if it's you don't spray the food with pesticide, you don't put certain things in the food when you're growing it. So if it's growing in very natural, healthy conditions, I mean, here registered organic, there are different criteria. But I'm saying in general, the concept of organic is it's growing. Mm -hmm. You understand? So I think the difference is we are we don't use pesticides on our plants, and if we do have, and every now and then we do have attacks from insects or so. And you can make homemade things from natural product like pepper, you know, and things like that. Vinegar, pepper, you're not using pesticide sprays. So we could say to people who, who come to the market or come to the garden that what you're eating is safe because of how it's grown. We're not using fertilizers. And one of the great things is that we save our seeds and our seeds are heirloom, and we save them and we plant them back year after year after year. So like our tomatoes, our peppers, eggplants, long beans, bitter melon, um, kale, collards, um, chard, arugula, all of those, we, we save our seeds. So we allow them to seed over some winter over their seed, and then we save the seed, and then we plant them back. So that's also security from eating from us because you're saying we know where our seeds are coming from. For sure. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like being able to know your farmer personally right. <clears throat> and be able to enjoy and, and maybe learn a recipe or two from. Yes, and then pe when, when people come to the market, they actually, we share ideas. We share herbal ideas. People come in and they would say, well, do you have this? Do you have this? Then you grow it and so on. And they share ideas. And um, you try to educate people around how to eat well, how that eating well is really your medicine, how you're going to keep your body healthy. And one of the, one of the reasons we kind of endure with the farm, because I'm telling you, it's lots and lots and lots of work. But then when you go and the people come and say, well, do you have this? Do you have that? And you don't have it. You really like feel so bad mm -hmm. because you really can't satisfy what, what they're asking for. So that's one of the reasons we continue. The, the amount of work and energy, you know, so it's not about money or anything. It's about how do you get your community, especially people in these communities to eat healthy, to be mindful and conscious of what they eat. And those are some of the reasons we just continue to make it work. And it's an all year thing because while we get to the point where we have to clean up the space, then you know we have to set our seeds out in our basement, in our living room, that's what we do. So that by the time we get to March, April, we can begin to put in new plants again. So it's, it's really like 
two jobs, two really full-time jobs. Yes. But just to make sure that people are eating well and they're learning, we educate them. So that's really the benefit of staying with the growing and helping, you know, educating people about what they should eat. Such a powerful testimony. I mean, it's but it's about people anyway. Yeah. And I think, And I think for me personally, things will change for the better when people think about taking care of one another and it's really not about the dollars and cents you make because listen it doesn't matter how much dollars and cents you have you get to a certain point in your life it's of no use to you mm -hmm. but if you help and work with people then there's always someone to help to take care of you and to me that's our big goal why we keep people saying well you should retire why are you doing all of this it's not about me it's about how i help other people community even my kids in school mm -hmm. you know my my three kids are grown but the kids in school those are my children as well because when i go in and i see them and i'm thinking oh, you know this kid could be i went to a school three days ago and I was speaking with three young ladies and I said to one of them, <clears throat> so I know you're going to be a doctor. And she sat up and she said, how did you know that? I said, you communicated that to me. She said, but how? I said, I can't tell you how. She actually wants to become a doctor. Yeah. And then the other two young ladies told me what they were. So you really have to have this intuition and work when you are working with people. Mm -hmm. And it has to be a bigger goal. It's not about the income you make. It's, not about, it's about how do you help someone's situation. And as we're working and working with children, think about our future. And one of the things I keep saying to teachers and to people who work with me, it's not about the kids in school. So think serious, it's about everyone. Because except we train them and get them, if we seriously educate them and get them to make right decisions, then our future is secure. You don't do that, then our future is not. It doesn't matter where you live or how many airplanes you think you have flying yeah. around. You don't work with the youths to create a future for us to survive in. Then technically we won't have anything anything yeah mm -hmm. so that's the whole big idea of staying teaching in the field teaching in the schools you know so that's the goal that's the goal so how do you recharge your batteries marlene eat well eat well mm -hmm. um get enough hours of sleep and be always positive you know be Take positive energy, spread positive energy. You know, you're going to have challenges with people because people are people, but you just stay positive and know that you have a mission and you just do what you have to accomplish the things you need to do. So I stay charged. I feel it. I see you it. Feel it. The <laughs> attitude of gratitude. I'm so happy to have you here. <laughs> I love, and I love people. So, like the kids in school, oh my gosh, you have no idea. You go in, you just feel a difference. So when you see, when I see kids, it's like there's a new, there's like thousand pounds of energy just get pushed into me. It's just that connection. For sure. Yeah, it makes such a difference. Very reinvigorating. Yeah, and you have to you have to have that love for them. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I like what you said that children are children. You know, when you mentioned that oftentimes teachers will say or someone that you're working with will say this child is a certain way and you're like, 
kids are kids. You know, you, you establish just that relationship with them, you would be surprised. And I've had so many years of experience working with different groups of children. I could say, look, it's what you do with a child. It's how you establish a relationship with a child that's going to make all the difference. So beyond your title, what do you love to do, Marlene? Like, what do I love to read. I read all the time, and mostly science. I read science, not fiction, mm -hmm. not fictional stuff. I read, and, and currently one of the things that I'm, I'm really interested in is who are we as humans? So any information I could get, who are we? What's going on? Where are we going? You know, just to get some insight into what is going on on this planet. So anywhere I could get information, I read and I share. And anything medicinal, yes. anything about health, that's information I like to read. So reading is what I really do a lot. In addition to my farming, my husband thinks the only thing I pay attention to is farming. But I do read and I do pay attention to my other job. Well, you're definitely very insightful. You know, when I go to East New York Farms, oftentimes we'll have different printouts of, of mm -hmm. more information about what we're consuming, you know, what we're purchasing and going home and cooking. So, for instance, I learned how to cook pumpkin leaves from you, but you also gave me a handout on pumpkin leaves. And I learned about how much vitamin C and all the, you know, I mean, you could probably describe better than yeah, I could. Yeah, but you know something? I remember... Not even pumpkin leaves, but sweet potato leaves like yes. years ago. sweet potato leaves. We were in the garden, and there was an African lady who passed by, and she said, because we grew up in Jamaica, we, we use our potato leaves to feed our animals. Mm -hmm. And then we threw away our pumpkin leaves. Who knew that pumpkin leaves could have been eaten? Yeah. So when the lady passed, she said, you guys have a gold mine here. And I'm saying, what are you talking about? She said, those potato leaves could be eaten. Then that was when we started doing research and to know that potato leaves, the sweet potato leaves, yes. not Irish yes. potatoes, sweet, sweet potato, potato leaves. leaves, the amount of nutrient that's in sweet potato leaves. And one of the things I encourage people to do when they come to the market is to do research mm -hmm. on the vegetables so they could see what's good for what, because well, now we have technology. And then who would know that pumpkin leaves had so much nutrition in them. Yeah. Who knew that? Yeah. And then so we begin and then finding out now like carrot leaves, the, the leaves from most vegetable that we used to like cut off, throw in the trash, can be eaten. And it's still, I mean, even when you go to the grocery store, most of those leaves are cut off. So it's right. very fascinating to be able to buy so the we, whole plant. So like our beet leaves, mm -hmm. great. Um, so just towards the end of the season, when we plant the radish, who knew? We eat the radish leaves, we, eat, we had pumpkin leaves, we had sweet potato leaves, we had um, the turnip leaves, carrot leaves, all of those. The, the, vet, the roots grow in the ground, you eat the leaves as well. Yep. Each you know? one, teach one. Each one, teach one. So, so Marlene, <laughs> what do you want your legacy to be? The legacy, I am positive um, that one of it will be about advising, sharing. People will know, oh, you need information. Like, tell you at work. 
people go to the doctor and the doctor says something comes down they come Marlene we need to talk to you what now the doctor said this is wrong with me what should I eat what should I take and sometimes I know and yeah. sometimes I don't I do the research yeah and I go back and I share but in terms of legacy what would I like to leave is that you know people how do you care for people while you have breath what is your work to care for people so then hopefully someone would say um well if marlene was here this is what she would do and if marlene was here this is what she would say but it's really about how do we care for people you know that my legacy is how what's my relationship with people and not just we say hello, we hug and so, but what's my relationship? How am I working and caring for people? Because I think that's my charge. That's the purpose I came to this planet. And that's why I became a teacher and not a nurse. A nurse I would be caring for people, but then I, I don't have to see people passing on. Now I see young kids growing from one level to the next yeah. to the next because i've taught like almost every age group wow yeah from kin pre-k up through grade 10 so just to see them grow so i think the legacy is how how do i care and support growth in people that that's what i want my legacy to be wonderful well, thank you, Marlene. Thank you so much. I would love to share with our listeners where um, where they can connect with you when the weather's warm. You know, where mm -hmm. where is East New York Farms? Is it's it? It's at um, it's Kink Avenue and um, New Lots Avenue. But the interesting thing is how <clears throat> when we had the market in 1998-99. The market was on a, a, a little plot where they built up a, a, a high rise now. Mm -hmm. And I was, when they came and said, you know, they were buying the lot. And I said to the people who were in charge of East, of the farm then, I said, why don't you have a conversation with the people at the community board and see if they would block off the streets for us to sell. And, and so now I got the house in front of the garden mm -hmm. and then the market is on the street where i live yes, just a is. block up from my house so is that all coincident do you think that's all coincident that i ended up Named with one it. farm right yeah. here one garden <laughs> right here a whole garden i don't think that's coincident yeah. so that's what i'm saying people are here for different purpose absolutely yeah the well, fisherman likes the fish i love to plant I'm a farmer, I'm a gardener, I'm everything about plant. And even in Jamaica when I was teaching, I remember moving from one parish to the next when my husband became a principal. And you know the first thing we did, we were living in St. Catherine, we hired a truck and moved all our plants first. Yeah. A truck <laughs> to the other parish before anything else. So. So think about that connection with plants. Yes. And I know people who are connected. I know quite a few Hispanic people. They are like plant people because yes. they're, they're so connected to their plants. It takes priority over humans, plants. 
So I, I love I'm my a plants. plant person. Yes, you are. Yes. <laughs> I'm a plant person. Well, I'm so thankful to have you here today. Okay, this has been dear. a wonderful opportunity to learn more about you and, you know, just all the amazing things that you have done and, you know, getting in contact with East New York Farms to be mm -hmm. able to support and eat well and yeah. just continue to support and uplift yes. each other naturally, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, as long as I have breath, that's what I will continue to do. Even when I retire, yes. I will never retire from farming. Well, I'm I'm always going to be a happy, <laughs> happy lover of Marlene's <laughs> harvest. I would love to hear from you. Reach out and share more about how you're living life beyond your title at beyondmytitle at gmail.com. Follow along on social media at Beyond My Title and like, share, and subscribe to hear the latest episodes first. This podcast was brought to you by Bib Media. Born in Brooklyn, believe the hype.